Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, Christy Kahina made that. And so good morning, church. Man, we're so glad you're here. It is amazing just to see all the people back in the room again together. It's been wonderful. In fact, on the way to church today, David asked me, he said, hey, Dad, because he's been working with the tech team. Hey, Dad, is, uh, does uh, Kaylee put up a timer for you as far as your sermon length? I'm like, there's no need to do that anymore because we're all together and I'm just going to go and we're going to figure it out in the end, all right? And so if you didn't make lunch plans, uh, I hope you didn't. So we'll be okay, right? So no, it's exciting. I tell you, it's excited to turn around and just see this many people back together again. We've missed each other, haven't we? We've really missed each other, so we're glad you're here. Obviously, I wanted you to know this morning that I have no bias about who I'm pulling for this evening, so I want everybody to know, make no mistakes about it, except Adam said hey, this may be the most upright number 12 will be all day today, which is probably right about that, but anyway, so let's get it. Today, we're going to begin a brand new series called Rebuild, all right? And, and the, uh, the whole thing about Rebuild is we're going to be going through the book of Nehemiah. It's an exciting book that we're going to go through. It's important for us as individuals as we go through this, but it's also really important for us as a church and the stage that we're in right now as we're that, that whole process and moving toward uh, acquisition of the land and building and having a real home. And so it's so important for us to go through this, this series called Rebuild. Now, to kind of give you a little bit of context to the book of Nehemiah, I think that's always important as we get into a book, okay, where does this fit into the Old Testament? Where does Nehemiah come into the whole scheme of things? And so just give you a little bit of background. You know, the Old Testament, we talked a little bit about it last week. In the Old Testament, Israel was one nation, and then King Solomon ended his reign, and not such a high note, and that so the kingdom went from one kingdom to two kingdoms, right? The northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And then the northern kingdom kind of rebelled against God, didn't listen to God, didn't follow God. And so the Assyrians came in and completely destroyed them, overtook them, and it was, just, it was not good. But the people of God rebelled and God disciplined them. And then the southern kingdom of Judah, you think they would have learned from their northern brothers but they didn't learn. And so they continued to rebel, even though they had the temple of God in the southern kingdom of Judah in a city called Jerusalem. They rebelled against God, and God allowed the Babylonians to come in. And the Babylonians killed most of the Israelites, took the best of the best back to Babylon to retrain them, help them kind of reindoctrinate them to be good Babylonians. And then they left a few people, a remnant of people, just hanging out there in Jerusalem. Now, we talked about last week, Daniel, he was that guy that was taken from Judah back to Babylon. He was one of those they tried to indoctrinate. Well, they were in captivity for roughly 69 years, and then they got to make their way back to Jerusalem. And Daniel was in that kind of circle of time frame, but Nehemiah comes in the scene at the very end of that. He's toward the very end of the captivity. So the Israelites are in captivity in Babylon, and he comes on the scene at the end of that. Now, when he comes on the scene, the Babylonians are no longer the ones in control. It's a group called the Persians. The Persians came in and basically kicked the Babylonians out, and they took over everything. And what's interesting about the Persians was this, is that their kings were a little bit more sympathetic to all these nations that the Babylonians had ransacked. They were a little more sympathetic. So under the king of Persia, many of them were allowed to begin their journeys back to their homeland. And that's the scene that sets up the book of Nehemiah. Now, when you read the book of Nehemiah, I want to encourage you to do something. Many of you grab those journals. I hope you have those. We're going to walk through those. Uh, if you didn't, you could pick one on your way out. But something I want to encourage you with, the book of Ezra, which is right before Nehemiah, actually goes hand in hand with Nehemiah because Ezra is the priest who brings people back from that captivity and they rebuild the temple. But then Nehemiah, who was a lay person who just wanted to be used of God, he was the one that came back and was given the task of rebuilding the walls 
around Jerusalem. So God ultimately gave Nehemiah a heart to go back to rebuild the walls. Now here's something I want to lay out at the very beginning of foundation. When we talk about rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, now you and I think nothing about that, but for them it was a really big deal. For them, the walls surrounded a city, a city that represented Yahweh, a city that represented the place of God. And so while Ezra is rebuilding the temple, the house of worship, Nehemiah was to go back and rebuild the walls around Jerusalem to show that there really is a place, a homeland for God's people. So this is an amazing story of the rebuild. But here's what I want to suggest this morning, and it's this. When we talk about Nehemiah rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, it wasn't just about rebuilding walls. It wasn't just about brick and mortar. See, when Nehemiah, listen, when Nehemiah begins his journey back to Jerusalem, this is a people that are desolate. These are people that have been destroyed. There are people that like, they, they can even wonder, has God abandoned us? And so they're beginning their journey back. And Nehemiah is wanting to rebuild the walls, but it's bigger than rebuilding the walls. He wants to rebuild a mindset. Now listen to me. This is the theme we're going to take all the way through the series. He wasn't just rebuilding walls. He was rebuilding a mindset, a mindset of this, who they were, who they were called to be, and why in the world that matter. That's what he was trying to rebuild, who they were. At some point during captivity, it would have been really easy for the Israelites to forget that we are children of God, that we are the people of God. We belong to God because if you're in captivity, wouldn't there be a moment in your life where you're thinking, where's God, right? If God was present, would we be here? And so he's trying to rebuild this sense of identity in them of who they were as the people of God, but also trying to remind them who they were called to be. Israel was always to be a beacon of light. Israel was always to be a holy nation set apart. Everything that God established in the Old Testament, all the laws, were not designed to give them a, a sense of being right with God, but designed to give them a sense of this is what it looks like to look different from the rest of the world. And so he wanted to rebuild the sense of identity. He wanted to rebuild purpose in them, and he also wanted to rebuild motivation. What in the world does this matter? Well, they were surrounded by people who didn't know God. And as a beacon of light, what were they trying to do? They wanted to introduce this God, Yahweh, to them so they could come maybe to faith in him. And so it was not just about rebuilding walls. It was about rebuilding a mindset. Now, here's why that's important for us as we move into the series. Is I feel like for us, maybe we need to build or rebuild that same mindset. Here's what I mean. Many of you in the room today need to build this mindset because maybe you would say, hey, I'm a follower of Christ, but you never really kind of dove into the notion of what it means to be a child of God, what it means to be your identity, be in the fact that you're a Christ follower. You've never really dove into the depths of this, this notion that I have been accepted, I'm loved, I'm forgiven, I'm adopted, I'm his child, and I belong to him. I mean, we just know that, hey, I, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower, but many of us have never built up this sense of identity that who I am and what, what matters in my life and what makes me matter is my identity in Christ. You believe that? Say amen. amen. And many of you haven't built that up. Many of you maybe not built up the purpose that God has given you, who you're called to be. Well, it's very simple. Jesus said that we are called to be the salt and light of the world, that we are the representation of the physical Lord Jesus in this world. Even when you're driving down Colonial and you get caught off, the cut off, the way you respond, you are either going to be light of Christ or the darkness of your own heart, right? And so we, we, need to re, we need to build that for some of us. You know, who are we called to be? But also, why in the world does that matter? Why in the world does it matter that we know who we are and what we're called to be? It's because, listen, 
Because we are surrounded by people who don't know Christ. We are surrounded by people that if someone doesn't reach them, will spend eternity apart from him. That's why it matters. So for some of us, for the first time, we need to build that up in our lives. For others of us who've been Christians for a while, maybe we need to rebuild that. If you've been married for any length of period of time, have you found moments in your married life when maybe you forgot the sweetness of the moment when you said I do, or the sweetness in the moment of how much you truly love your spouse, but you get so wrapped up in the fact that the toilet paper comes off the wrong way, or the toothpaste is squeezed in the wrong spot, and somehow you forget that stuff. Anybody with me in that? I never do that stuff wrong. I'm just giving you an example, right? Here's the thing. Some of us, and this starts with Doug. Some of us need to rebuild this mindset of who we are in Christ. I'm telling you, I've been reading this book called Dangerous Prayers, and one thing I love about this book, it just reminds me, Craig Rochelle, who writes it, says this, that he woke up one day and he realized that he become a full-time Christian and a part-time follower of Christ. And I tell you, that is wrecking me. Because it's reminding me that there's times in my life that I'm so working hard to do for the Lord instead of letting the Lord do something in my life, right? And maybe you wrestle with that too. So I need moments in my life as a Christian where I can rebuild the sense of who am I in Christ? I am loved. I am accepted. I have received the grace of God and the world we live in. I need that. Don't you need that? I need to be reminded of my identity in Christ, but also need to be reminded of my purpose. I'm not saved just so I can go to heaven when I die. I'm saved so I can be a light and change the world that I live in, be a mouthpiece for a holy God. And some of us need to be reminded of the purpose that we have, that you're here this morning, but listen, when you leave in like three hours from now, I'm just kidding, when you leave here in a little bit, you are on a mission field. And everywhere you go, from the grocery store to the gas station to your home, wherever you go, you're on a mission field. We have a purpose, and that's to be salt and light. And for some of us, we need to rebuild this sense of why in the world does it matter? Because people are dying without Christ, and it should wreck us in our hearts and our souls. So I want you to know, as we go through Nehemiah, and we talk about wall reconstruction, all this stuff, listen, it's more than rebuilding a wall. It's rebuilding an identity. It's rebuilding purpose. And it's rebuilding a motivation for how the people of God are to live. And so as we go through this, I just want to say this to you. As a church and as individuals, if we're going to be a church and individuals are going to make a difference for Christ, we cannot let these three things be forgotten in our life. Who we are, what we're called to be, and why in the world. We can't, we can't let those things be forgotten in our lives. So the question we're going to wrestle with today is where does rebuilding that mindset of who we are, who we're called to be, and why it matters, where does that begin for us? Where does rebuilding that mindset begin? So if you have your Bibles, Nehemiah is where we're going to be. Nehemiah chapter 1. And I'm not going to ask you to stand today because we're going to break up the passage and different pieces today. But Nehemiah chapter 1, I want to read just the first three verses. Listen to this. It says this, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Akala, uh, now it happened in the month of Hislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, and then Hanai and one of my brothers came with certain men from Judah and asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, meaning the people in Jerusalem that survived that. And they said to him, said to me, the remnant there in the province who have survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. And here's why. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been destroyed by fire. So here's the predicament that Nehemiah is receiving. Nehemiah is asking information. Remember, he is now in the capital of Persia. He's not in Jerusalem. He's in Persia and the capital in Susa. And so he's asking, you know, people about what's going on in our homeland. 
And he says, listen, there's a remnant of people there that survived that exile. I mean, they weren't killed. They weren't brought to Babylon. They just kind of survived. But their hearts are troubled. They're in jeopardy. I mean, they are struggling there. And he says, well, why is that? Well, because not only the temple had been destroyed, but guess what? The walls have been destroyed. So this people that used to have a land, which was identity to them, is gone. This people that used to have a fortress that was built around a place of worship that gave them validity and credibility with where they lived, it's gone. So there's a group of people that are Israelites that are living in an area, and they are aimlessly wandering without hope, without purpose, without identity, and Nehemiah, that's what's going on. Now, if you were Nehemiah, how would you feel in that moment? Come on, how would you feel? Would you feel elated, or would you feel broken? You'd probably feel broken, right? And it's exactly what happened to Nehemiah, because that's the predicament they're in, but I want you to listen to how Nehemiah responds. Look with me in chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. Listen to this. It's almost like we're reading Daniel all over again, but listen to this. He says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down, and what did he do? I wept, and I mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before God of heaven. And I said, oh, Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him, he keeps his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. And even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you have commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place I have chosen to make my dwelling there. In other words, I'll come back to you. They are your servants and your people whom you've redeemed by the great power by your strong hand. Oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayers of your servants and to the prayers of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servants today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I'm a cupbearer of the king. Now here's the thing I want you to get at. We're going to go back to a lot of that. But here's what I want us to realize in that is that where does rebuilding this mindset begin? You ready? Where does rebuilding this mindset begin? Here it is. It begins with realignment. Here's what I mean. It begins with realigning our heart and our minds with the heart and the mind of God. We are never going to rebuild the mindset of our identity in Christ and our purpose in Christ and our motivation to live this life. We're never going to rebuild those things if we don't first realign our minds and our hearts with him. Now, last week we talked about how we realign ourselves. You remember what the answer is? We do it through what? Prayer. And it says here that as soon as Nehemiah heard this, he wept and he mourned and he prayed. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to look at the character and the content of Nehemiah's prayer. The character and the content of his prayer, because the character and the content give us great insight that Nehemiah's heart and his mind were realigned with the things of God. And the same thing's true for us. If, our, if the character and the content of our prayer will always reveal to us whether our minds and our hearts are in rhythm with the Lord. So first of all, let's talk about the character of Nehemiah's prayer. Look at me in verse four again. He said, as soon as I heard this, these words, I sat down and I wept 
and I mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Here's a couple of things about the characteristics of his prayer. First of all, it was deeply emotional, wasn't it? What are the two words we know that with? He did what? He wept, and he did what? He mourned. Now, we know from a couple weeks ago in the book of James that those two words both reflect a sense of grieving. One is internal grieving, and one is external grieving. And so what Nehemiah is saying is that, listen, when I heard this news, I was deeply emotional. I wept and I mourned. Now you say, well, why was he so emotional? Because listen, he was emotional because when you think about it, he was grieving the situation his people were in. He is grieving the situation where they find themselves. This people that once had a land, this people that once had a home, have nothing anymore. And so he's grieving that situation. I would say this, that he actually had a holy discontent in him. In other words, he was not okay with what was going on in Jerusalem. He wasn't okay with it. He, saw, he heard what happened, and his first response was, well, I hope they worked it out sometime. His first response was, you know what, I'll, just, I'll make sure they're on my prayer list today. No, no, his response was, he was broken over what he heard. He wept internally, and he mourned outwardly. He was so emotional. Why? Because everything that Israel had was gone. And there was a holy discontent in him. He was like he was saying, I'm not okay with what's going on in Jerusalem. That's why he was emotional. But he was also emotional, I believe, because he was able to empathize and his heart was broken over his people. He was broken over the other Israelites. He was broken that this beacon of light was no longer going to be a beacon of light. He was broken over the misery of his people because a group that used to have a home is homeless. A group that used to have hope was hopeless, and he was emotional about it. So he, when you think about the character of his prayer, first of all, he was emotional. Second of all, his prayer was intense. Do you catch what he said there? He said, I wept and I mourned and I prayed for how long? How long did he pray? For what? Days. It wasn't like he shot up a 15-second prayer. I mean, he was weeping and mourning, and he prayed for days, for days. And not only did he weep and pray for days, it says that he fasted too, right? And it wasn't like he skipped lunch. It wasn't like he skipped dinner. I mean, Nehemiah is so heartbroken over what's going on that he knows the only way to find an answer, the only way to find a direction out of this was for him to get alone with God. And for him to get with God, and was, you remember the story of Jacob when Jacob is wrestling with Jesus, and the, the man of God, and we, we would say the pre-incarnate Jesus. Do you remember when he's wrestling and he's like, I'm not letting go until you bless me? Do you remember that? He's like, I'm not letting go, and then he does, and he touches his hip, and he walks the rest of his days with his hip, kind of like a limp because his hip was out of socket. You remember that? It's almost like Nehemiah's doing the same thing. It's like, listen, I am so heartbroken, the only place I know to go is to the Lord. That's it. I only know to go to the Lord. But I'm not just going to go to the Lord casually. I'm going to go, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to fast. It's not going to be a one-time deal. I'm going to do it for days because I need to hear from the Lord. I'm not stopping this until God speaks to me. Now, what we're going to find out next week is this, is that four months later is when God offers an opportunity and a window for something to take place. I'm not saying he fasted for four months. What I'm saying is he prayed and he fasted, but it was four months before he really got an answer. And what I want you to know about Nehemiah is this, as the character of his prayer, he was so heartbroken, is that he was emotional and his prayer was super intense. And so here's a question for us. What is the character of our prayers? Now, if we were honest, many of us would say, well, probably selfish, apathetic at times, casual, 
Would you, would you agree with that? Most of the time, that would be the character of our prayer. And here's a question I, I want us to think about. Just, just, just try it with me for a moment. Especially as we think about needing, the need for a home. What do you see when you're in this area? Well, let me back it up. What do you not see, first of all? If you were to take a three-mile radius around where we sit today, what do you not see? What do you not see? Don Jacobs, what do we not see? A church. You don't see a church. You don't see a church. You might find one on a backpack, but you don't see a church. You know what we do see? 3,000 rooftops in this area. 3,000 rooftops. Now, I don't know if that home's got six kids or no kids. I don't know, but 3,000 rooftops, at least 10,000 plus people in this area. You know what Orange County tells us they see? It's 20,000 cars passing by every day right out here. And I guess here's my question. Do we have a holy discontent for the situation that we are in? I'm not talking about being in the school and being involved. I'm talking about, is there a holy discontent? Are we okay that there's 10 to 15,000 people that live within three-mile radius and where we stand and sit in this very moment, and there's not a church anywhere that's a representation of Christ that can be a beacon of light so that when someone's driving by and maybe they feel like life's at the end for them and they see maybe those crosses that Christian and I have navigated through, those crosses there and go, you know, I may not be into this Jesus thing, but there's something about that place that represents maybe what I need. Maybe I'll go check it out. Are we okay with there not being a presence of the Lord within three miles of this place right now? Are we okay with that? I hope not. I hope there's a holy discontent in us about the situation we're in. And I hope there's also a grieving that we're experiencing that we are surrounded by that many people and most of those people which don't know Christ. According to Barna, he says that you put any group together, 65% of those people are unchurched and most of them don't know Christ. Think about that. We did a statistic about a year ago that if you took a five-mile radius, actually maybe seven, going all the way down to where I live, that there's almost 40,000 different, 30, 35,000 people that live in proximity to this school. And that means that there's almost 23,000 people that are unchurched and don't know Christ. And are we okay with that? No, we're not okay with that, Right? And so my prayer is that for us as a church, if we want to have the same characteristics of Nehemiah's prayer, there has to be a holy discontent with us. There has to be this sense of, we're not okay with that. You know, and you think about, you know, the building. Okay, listen, when we talk about land and a building, I want you to hear my heart on this for a moment. We're not, we don't want land and a building just so we can go, you know what, we've arrived, kick our feet up, here we are, thank you, Lord. We don't want to land a building just so we don't have to set up and tear down every week, even though that's going to be a huge benefit. You know why we need our own home? Because we need a beacon of light in this community that is permanent, that people can drive by and go, I need what they're probably offering. That's what we need. And so is there a holy discontent in us? I pray that there would be a grieving in us when we drive the, the streets of Corner Lakes and Cypress Lakes in our home communities and our neighborhoods of people that just don't know Christ, that God would birth something in us that would cause us to grieve the lostness that's around us. You see that in Nehemiah's prayer. The character of his prayer was emotional and it was intense. The next thing I want you to notice is the content of his prayer. Now, just a quick question. Do you think the character of his prayer influenced the content of his prayer? Do you think the emotional state that he was in, the intense state he was in, shaped the prayer that he prayed? The answer would be what? Yes. And the first thing I want you to know about his prayer is found in verse 5 through 7. The content, he says this, and I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel 
your servants, confessing the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sin of the people of Israel, which have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted corruptly against you and have not kept the commands, the statutes, and the rules that you've commanded your servant, Moses. Listen, here's the first piece of this content. He starts with confession. Do you know what he doesn't start with? God, where have you been? God, our people have been in captivity for almost 68 years by the time he comes on the scene. God, where have you been? God, are you not bothered that when the land is destroyed or the temple's destroyed and the walls are taken down, that to every other nation in the world, that's telling them that the God of Israel, Yahweh, isn't real? That the God of Israel is not legit? God, are you, are you not bothered with that, God? Is that how Nehemiah starts his prayer? No. He is so heartbroken and he is so torn over what happened to his people, he starts it with where it should always start, confession. And you know what he confesses first? The greatness of God. Now think about that. How hard is that to confess the greatness of God when life is just falling apart for you? How hard is it to confess the greatness of God when you've battled moments of depression in your life, when you're not even sure you want to get out of the bed that day? I mean, Nehemiah is not in Jerusalem. He doesn't have a building team there. They're not like, you know, high-fiving each other, putting the bricks down and singing some songs. I mean, none of that's going on. He's in Persia, and he's heard a report of the wandering of his people, and his heart is breaking. How hard was it for Nehemiah to celebrate the goodness of God? It had to be tough, but that's where he started, wasn't it? He started with the great confession of the greatness of our God. God, you are great. You're the God that's steadfast in love. You're the God that is faithful. You're the God that keeps his commandments. Now, why would Nehemiah be praying that? Because he was reminding him, even himself, that God is still on his throne. No matter where we find ourselves, no matter if we're in captivity or not, God is still in control, right? And he prayed this great prayer confession. Now, listen, he didn't just confess the greatness of God. Guess what else all he confessed? The sinfulness of Israel, right? He's like, God, we've been corrupt. In fact, he didn't just point the finger to Israel. He talks about, I'm in this too. My father's house has sinned too. We have all sinned against you, God. So there's this great moment of confession where he says, Lord, you're great, and we're wretched. We're sinful. And the second part of his content I want you to notice is found in verse 8 through 10. Look there with me. He says this, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you were unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place I have chosen to make the name will dwell, and my name will dwell there. Verse 10, they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. He not only kind of begins this prayer with confession, then he moves to claiming the promise of God, Right? You know how many promises there are in the scripture? Anybody know? Over 7,400 promises in God's word. That's a lot of promises, isn't it? And I would, I would just ask, you know, if you may not know that, but I believe every day we need one of those promises to get us through the day. And what does Nehemiah do? In the midst of his emotional state, in brokenness he's in, he prays and he confesses the greatness of God, the sinfulness of man, and then he claims the promises of God. He says, listen, God, I, re I remember that you said when your people rebel, you will discipline. But also remember, Lord, that when you say when your people come back to you and they are faithful, that you will take that which is scattered and you will bring them together and you will return to us. Now, why was it important for Nehemiah to pray that? 
Because right now, God's people were what? Scattered. And it was as if Nehemiah saying, Lord, I'm going to ask you to stand on that promise you gave us. Lord, I'm going to ask you to hold up your end. I know you always do. But I'm going to ask you to hold up your end of the deal. You made the promise, God. I probably wouldn't have made it because we're pretty wicked, but you made the promise, God. And I'm going to ask you to hold up your end of the deal, Lord. We've returned to you. We're returning to you. Would you bring us back? And there's one more part of this prayer which I find extremely interesting as far as the content. We have confession, we have promise, and the third content is this. Look at verse 11. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in the fear of your name and give what? What's the word? Success. He prays for success, right? Listen to the rest of it. He says, and give us success to your servants today and grant him the mercy and the sight of this man. He prays for success. Now, in Nehemiah's terms, it would be really easy to go, well, success for Nehemiah would have been the rebuilding of the temple and ultimately the rebuilding of the walls, right? But I believe with everything that's in me this morning, as we go through the book of Nehemiah, what we're going to find out is success had nothing to do with the walls. Success had everything to do with the heart of Israel. Success had everything to do with rebuilding the mindset of who they were in God, who they were called to be, and why in the world that matters. I believe with everything in me that true success has nothing to do with saying, God, would you, would you do something and give me something? In fact, I, I'm learning this as, in my own prayer life that I need to spend less time saying, God, would you give this to me instead of praying, God, would you reveal this in me? Do we understand the difference? Because most of our prayers are, God, would you give this to me? And what I need to pray is, God, would you reveal this in me? And my question is this for us today, is what is the content of our prayer? Do we pray those selfish prayers like, God, give this to me? Or are we praying, God, would you reveal something in me? And here's the thing I pray that we ask is, God, ask ourselves, do, do we really desire to rebuild the mindset so that we can be effective for the kingdom of God? Do we really desire to build and to rebuild the mindset of who we are as Christ followers, who we are called to be, our purpose, and why in the world that matters, the lostness of people around us? Do we really have a desire for that? Do you have a desire for that? If we're going to be a church that makes a difference, we have to have a desire for that. Amen? We do. And so as we look at the prayer of Nehemiah, we see the character of his prayer, and we also see the content of his prayer. And the character and the content give us great indicators that his alignment with the Lord was in rhythm. So what about our alignment? You know, we are about to enter in as a church. We are about to enter into some really historic moments, and I'm so excited. I mean, I, if I was any more excited, I'd just rip the jersey off, but I won't do that. But I'm just, I'm so excited. Um, and we're going to talk about that in the service a little bit. We're heading some historic moments. And as we go through the book of Nehemiah, we're going to learn a lot of stuff. We're going to learn stuff like, you know, how, how to, how to, how to um, you know, remember how, what God has done for us, those moments of thinking about how to react when God nudges us. We're going to talk about what it means to refocus when we've lost our way. We're going to talk about the dangers of relapse. I mean, we've got a lot of things we're going to learn. But for today, as we start the series, here's my goal, as we'd ask ourselves this question. Do I have a heart that wants to rebuild the mindset of who I am in Christ, who I've been called to be, and why in the world that matters? If you do, that rebuilding begins with a realignment. 
asking ourselves, are we have a, do we have a holy discontent in the situation that we see? Are we okay with no church in three miles? Are we okay with 20,000 people driving by every day and not seeing any place that represents the name of Christ in this area? Are we okay with that? It starts with a holy discontent, but it also moves to a griefing in our spirit over the lostness of people around us. So here's my question for believers. Do you have that holy discontent? When you drive through this area, is there an aching in your soul for the lostness of people around us? And if there is, listen, if there is, I pray that we would desire what Nehemiah desired. Use me, Lord. I mean, he was a lay person that went back and rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. And guess how long it took him to do it? Guess how long? 52 days. Impossible. But he does it. A lay person going back, builds it in 52 days. And we just need to pray the same thing of Nehemiah. Lord, would you just use me? If you really have a holy discontent, and if you're really grieving over those around us, would you just simply say this as a believer? Lord, would you use me? Would you lose me, use me to be a part of making our dream come true, not just because we want a building, but because we want to be a beacon of light in this area? Lord, would you open up opportunities for my neighbors around me, for me to pass them as we go to the mailbox, or pass them as we walk dogs, so that I might have the chance to share the gospel of Jesus with them? Would you pray that? If you're a believer, would you ask God for what Nehemiah asked God? Basically, use me. And if you would say this morning, hey, Doug, I'm a believer, but I really don't have that holy discontent. I really don't have that grief going on my soul. Listen, Maybe you need a realignment. Sonia and I always joke because somehow or another when she's driving, her tires like to hit curbs. I don't know what happens about that. I don't understand that, but they do. They like to hit tires, uh, curbs, and all that kind of stuff. And so you're always, and, and I, I was behind a truck the other day driving, and I've never seen this before in my life. The truck was so out of alignment, the front two tires and the back two tires were almost splitting the difference there. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. And the truck was just doing this. <laughs> no wonder. It was out of alignment, right? And some of us spiritually today are out of alignment. And what we need to do is say, Lord, would you just take my heart? Instead of doing something, giving me something, would you reveal something in me? Would we just do that this morning? So I'm going to ask you right now, would everybody, would you just stand with me if you would? Everybody stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. And let's just pray. God, I love you. I thank you for today. God, I pray as we step into this time and this season as individuals and as a church, I mean, we're about to enter some really crazy times for us. But Lord, I pray as we go through Nehemiah, this is not just a series about us getting closer to this land purchase or building a building. God, this is about a rebuild of a mindset. God, I think it's true of all of us as believers that sometimes we struggle. Sometimes we forget who we are in Christ. Sometimes we forget what we've called to be and to do. Sometimes we forget why in the world it matters. So God, I pray with everything in me this morning that we would have a heart to rebuild that mindset. And to rebuild it begins with the realignment of our hearts and our minds to yours. Lord, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus' heart breaks for the lost. He himself said that when he looked over the city that he saw people that were harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus himself said the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. And God, I pray the words of Jesus would create a holy discontent in us, that we would not be okay with that, that we would be a church and a body of believers say, I'm not okay with people around me spending eternity apart from Christ, and I want to be part of the solution to that. I want you to use me, Lord. God, may that be our prayer this morning. For those of us that aren't there, may you just realign our hearts this morning. 
May you just realign us. And then, Lord, I pray for maybe that person here this morning that doesn't know Christ. They're part of the lostness that we've been talking about. And I want them to know more than anything else that you love them. And it doesn't matter what they've done, they can always receive your forgiveness. And all they have to do is surrender their life to you. All they have to do is say, Jesus, forgive me my sin and be the master of my life. And God, maybe somebody here today needs to do that. God, would you just move in our hearts? For those of us that have that discontent, may you use us. Use us as we move forward toward the land and the building, but more importantly, use us around our neighbors, our subdivisions, our homes. And for those of us that don't have it, Lord, would you do a work in us today? And for those who don't know you, maybe today would be the day they would say yes. God, we love you. We thank you for all that you do for us. Would you just move in this moment and move in our hearts, and may we be faithful to respond. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen.